0: Um, even more niche courses like 13 Week Cash Flow, Venture Capital Course, Real Estate Modeling—you name it. Go ahead and check them out at WallStreetOasis.com/courses. Thanks for the support.
1: Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision Revolution, visit realvision.com/wso. Hello, I'm Alex Grodnick. You're listening to the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Today, we're speaking with Kelly Perdue, a venture capital investor, early board member to companies like Pandora and LinkedIn, winner of Apprentice season two. I seriously have four pages of Kelly's accomplishments here. It's incredible. Now, as managing partner at Moonshots Capital, Kelly invests in exceptional entrepreneurs with world-changing ideas. This is going to be a fun conversation. If you want to interview with someone like Kelly, you better be ready, because let me tell you, it's intimidating. Check out the interview prep courses at Wall Street Oasis before your next big interview. Hopefully, days or weeks before, not the night before. Their experts work at top firms and will give you the practice and confidence
0: you need to get the job.
1: Okay, that's it for me, Kelly. Let's get going. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Yeah, I'm excited that I'm here in my office Yeah, <laughs> and that you were ec- able to set up quickly. So. I'm excited
1: that I get to be in your office today. This is my second time this week, so I'm really lucky and the listeners are even luckier because you uh, are, have an incredible story, you're an incredible guy. Let's just jump right into who Kelly is.
0: All right. I'm old. I had my, uh, my 51st birthday, uh, last week. So that's, that's a time for kind of introspection and look back at a whole bunch of stuff that's happened. But I, I find myself right now doing what I love. Um, and I actually at the upfront, uh, venture summit, uh, saw chameleon speak and he looked out at the crowd, uh, which was mostly investors, VCs, or, you know, CEOs of companies that had raised tens of millions of dollars, and said, smiling, "Hey, uh, you guys are all you know pr- pretty well off, right? Kind of in a Maslow's hierarchy of needs way. You're all self-actualizing. You're doing what you want, doing what you're aggressively going after. And a lot of people don't have that opportunity. So, I'm pretty thankful that I'm at the point where I can spend a lot of my time helping uh, entrepreneurs kind of build out their vision. That um, impacts a lot of people. So, I'm." Thankful and excited about that.
1: Yeah. I think venture capital, venture capitalists, that's an enviable place in life. A lot of people want to be doing that. You've been doing it for a while. You haven't always done it. You've been a CEO, a CFO, a founder, a board member, business development, investing now. you, Apprentice winner. Sorry, almost forgot that one. (laughs) Uh, You've done a lot.
0: Yeah. um, I I talk about my uh, investment career in kind of three chapters Initially, um, I got into it because I had read uh, Richard Kiyosaki's book, Um, the one most people know is Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but the second book actually is what was pretty compelling for me, and it's called Cash Flow Quadrant. So I'd recommend anybody who has a thought about being an entrepreneur to read Cash Flow Quadrant. But uh, I had gone through my first startup and it was a learning experience for you listeners. I'm making air quotation marks by saying learning experience, meaning it failed, um, but learned quite a bit. And it took a few years to fail. And I thought about that and I looked at all the data and it usually takes, you know, five or six times for a, for an entrepreneur to be successful at a business. And I multiplied five or six times, uh, times the number of years that it took to hit the failure. And I was like, uh-oh. Uh, you know, I'm only going to get three or four or five of these in max if I can if I can afford to keep doing them, kind of in a working life. So I need to, according to all the numbers and all the data, if I want to take advantage of this asset class, early stage technology, I need to invest more than just my lifetime. I need to start investing dollars so that I can get a, at least 20 uh, opportunities, 20 20 arrows flying. So I scrounged together my first kind of $5,000 from savings and put that into a company that ended up becoming uh, TrueCar. Mm-hmm. It was zag at the time. And that was 15 years ago, 14, 15 years ago when I did that. So I've now invested in 70 plus companies, um, in chapter one as an angel investor, writing those five to $25,000 checks into entrepreneurs that I liked helping those entrepreneurs find other investors and then helping them build the company. And then next, as part of a syndicate lead, so my West Point buddy of mine and my business partner now, Craig Cummings, who's based out of Austin, um, also an entrepreneur, we would tell each other about the really neat deals that we saw. And sometimes we'd write checks into what the other person recommended. And we eventually started co-investing a lot more. And then AngelList got a no no action letter from the SEC that said, basically, we're not coming after you for doing crowdfunding for a lead angel to lead and be able to take carry, i.e. get paid for the hard work that the lead angels do. So Craig and I started doing what we'd always been doing, but doing it formally and calling, it's called syndication. And we deployed since 2014, about $11 million into 20 plus companies. Uh, and then in uh, this last October, we did a first close on our uh committed 40 million dollar fund called moonshots capital fund 1 and we've made three investments out of the fund two of which have been announced uh so we're as an entrepreneur you sometimes look at uh, venture capitalists you said that's an enviable position i think um some people liken it you know star wars came out pretty recently uh you know as the as the dark force <laughs> <laughs> so um we We became officially venture capitalists in October of 2017, but we like to think um, that we have a very, very high level of empathy and won't ever forget being kind of the entrepreneurial role and the operator, uh, where Craig and I have had 14 companies that we've operated between us. So that's something I think that we uh, give is that empathy and that understanding that all uh, entrepreneurs think about or, you know, that even in the shower, that nervous sweat of, oh, I've got to make payroll coming up here in two weeks. (laughs) So if you haven't been in that position, it's very hard to fully empathize.
1: Sure. So I want to get into this timeline a little bit here. You said you wrote this first check, $5,000-ish for this company that turned into Truecar. So obviously the angel methodology is you want to be diversified. You want to have a lot of investments.
0: 20 to 25 uh, is the last set of data that I looked at. Mm -hmm. If you're a... So that's if you're—I don't want to say blindly—but that's if you write a check. So I'm just going to write a check in. Um, Some of what I like to say for for Moonshots Capital as a fund is: um, not only do you want to find very good entrepreneurs and/or ideas and companies to invest in, but because we help so much, literally roll up the sleeves and make introductions, help structure contracts you know, referee, the founder fights that always ensue at some point in time. All of those things that help make... We we, we literally help make, you know, good companies great, uh, or try to anyway, and we've had a lot of experience at it. So it's not just finding a great... Because almost no startup in a seed round ends up the way it started. Sure. There are so many... You, call, you can call them pivots. Uh, in the military, you say, no plan survives, first contact. No, oh, I like Cause, that. Because, you know, or... Um, everything's great in a fight until you get punched in the nose and it's like that's that's a lot like what entrepreneuring is so sure
1: so that that first check you wrote it what was it about that company you know what were you thinking when you when you were getting into that
0: um for anybody who's familiar with scott painter uh he's quite a compelling entrepreneur he is by far the best at uh understanding the financial part of the business and being able to raise money um running out of cash is pretty much the only thing that kills a company. Mm-hmm. And because of his fundraising capabilities and skills and, and his knowledge, his deep, deep knowledge about the automotive industry, uh, it gives investors a lot of confidence in being able to put money into him. Uh, he's also been a serial entrepreneur. So there, there are a lot of factors as an angel that you need to consider when you're writing checks. That changes if you're the lead for a syndicate because now you've got you know, something of a fiduciary responsibility because you've got other people that are betting on you that you're getting paid carry sure. on, on theirs. And then as a VC, there's actually a legal document, um, a limited partner agreement where your LPs are putting money in you, have a legal and, you know, fiduciary responsibility to make good decisions.
1: Yeah. So you're 51 now. How old were you when you wrote this check into Chukar?
0: Uh 36. 37 is that right so you're you've already do math on live podcast <laughs> ah, sorry kelly didn't want, didn't right.
1: it's also early in the morning but yeah. uh so this was post business school post you went to law school too you got a jd mba it looks like
0: uh correct i did law and business joint program at ucla
1: okay um and so tell us immediately after graduation what uh with the jd mba trying to go light the world on fire what what happened
0: so my Eureka moment actually occurred during my third year of the, the JD MBA program. I'd entered the program thinking, because I'd been in the army after I graduated from undergrad, but I entered the program thinking, hey, I, uh, you know, I want to be a great lawyer, so I should get as much business background as I can. And that was through a lot of informational interviews I did with attorneys on what they wish they'd done better and or skills that they had that they could apply in the legal practice. And I was thinking, you know, corporate M&A, that type of stuff. And during the course of the law program and the business program, I found that I identified with, had a much better time with, and uh, felt like I had a lot more passion around pursuing the business side versus the legal side, but was still clerking at a law firm based on getting a job that first summer, actually at a a fantastic law firm called Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher. And uh, we were sitting at the printers, which I'm not even sure still exists today, but it's where you would go through iterations of red lines on documentation, and we were doing a big M&A deal. Gibson was representing the company that was being acquired. I think Skadden Arps was the other one. So we'd been in a really, really nice, plush, uh, luxurious printer's office. It's the only thing they have to woo you to come to them with, you know, M Ms and pizzas and anything you wanted to eat and you know because you were there for sometimes two or three days at a time mm-hmm. um, to finalize documentation on a transaction and we were coming down to the wire there was only a few more things to kind of negotiate or figure out and both sides attorneys both sides accountants and then the principals came in from our client a couple of guys from Texas kind of older cowboy boots it's like eight in the morning and the CFO smoking a cigar and the our, our partner was arguing with the Skadden partner about basically where a comma should go in a sentence. You know, it was one of the final super important pieces of the transaction. And the, the CFO leaned into the CEO and said, can you believe we're paying these sons of bitches, like whatever it was then, $500 an hour to argue about where a comma goes. And I was, you know, kind of exhausted. We'd been up most of the night doing all this work on stuff and, you know, ties are all undone, sleeves are rolled up and... I looked at the attorneys arguing about the common. I looked at the CEO and the CFO and I was like, I want to be the entrepreneur. I want to be those guys. I don't want to be those guys. Yeah. Um, and that kind of dispensed with my interest in actually being an attorney. Um, not that a lot of the training wasn't important, but I did not even take a bar exam. I didn't want <clears throat> to have a safety net that I could fall back on to go work at a law firm where I would be ensnared. that net. So, um, I, I started during that third year of the four year program raising money for a startup company. I did my last year and a half of the business school with the business plan wasn't Acme product. It was my company that I was building everything for. Um, and that's kind of when the bug bit me, that was a learning experience. Mm -hmm. I raised money from friends and family that I lost, Um, I went in addition to my school loans, I went about $80,000 in credit card debt running up two or three credit cards. And I was at the Ralphs on, uh, Barrington and Olympic, uh, with my, you know, cart full of ramen and tuna fish, literally. And we're sorry, sir, your credit card's been declined at the thing. And I was like, uh uh-oh. So, um... I had to go work for the man, air air quotation marks around the man. I went to work for Deloitte Consulting. I had summered once at Deloitte, and they'd made me an offer that I had turned down to go do this entrepreneurial thing. And I called the managing director back and said, hey, you remember that offer from two years ago? I'd be really interested if you doubled the signing bonus. Oh, so so you you thought you,
1: you had more leverage then?
0: I got it. (laughs) <laughs> um, so you, you get what you negotiate, not what you deserve. Usually, um, sometimes you'll have somebody take care of you on what you deserve, but usually you get what you negotiate. Um, so I was able to get a nice signing bonus and take a chunk out of that debt and sure. spent a couple of years working at Deloitte Consulting, phenomenal company, phenomenal people, great clients, really smart work. Um, and did that for two years where I was the weekend, you know, the traveling business yep. warrior with briefcases. and That's
1: what all of my business school friends are doing right now. They're all, most of them are consultants.
0: Yeah. So did, did that. Yeah. Enjoyed the work a lot. Didn't enjoy the amount of travel. Didn't enjoy not uh, deploying. And I worked at the Braxton Group, so it was their strategy practice. Did not enjoy owning the delivery of the strategy, like actually going and executing against what we'd said, which mm-hmm. led me to additional operating roles after that.
1: You did not enjoy the operating piece of it?
0: No, no. I wanted to be able oh, to, you wanted to blow out the right. strategy. Like, this all makes sense. This is where you should go. This is what you should go do. Here it is. Yes, here and it is. Everybody... And
1: now I'm done. I got to go do another yeah, strategy. Put, exactly. Like, oh, I want to I execute this. Yeah,
0: it frequently ends up in a drawer with dust on it, and nobody executes against it. So.
1: Okay. So then what?
0: Um, then it was just rotating through uh, different startups, and... The next one.
1: None. None of them were yours. You joined a startup, and you were going to be.
0: Yeah. The, the in in each instance, except for one, um, I was not the what I call the ideation founder. Mm-hmm. I was usually the operating founder. Right. Meaning, I, I I I do believe as I meet more and more entrepreneurs that they're, you know, not it's not cut and dry, but they're kind of two buckets. There's someone who's been in an industry, and or operating in a role that enables them to see uh, major pain points so that a product or service that they envision will solve for that um, and they are very good at identifying that what they have no experience at typically is actually company building which requires a whole different set of skills than knowing uh, for instance you know in the automotive you know and OEMs don't have this capability they're going to need it we should build this and this is who we partner with. Like all, all of the domain knowledge, they have no idea how to attract a team, how to form a company, um, how to create contracts that are have long-term value for fundraising purposes, how to raise money, who to raise money from, um, you know, how to get clients. I mean, there's so, there's so many skills that are required for building uh, an entrepreneurial venture that because you have a great idea does not equal. That's why you have to build a team yeah. um, with operators.
1: So is it the jockey or is it the horse? Or-
0: so of the 70 plus companies that I've been a part of investing in with, with my business partner, Craig, and innumerable conversations with the tier one VCs from, you know, NEA and Trinities of the World and Bessemers and GGVs uh, upfront. front. Um, the only thing... Ninety nine percent, 99.9% of the time, the only thing that matters is leadership. And the thesis of Moonshot's Capital um, that Craig and I have founded is that uh, the only place in the world we see leadership specifically trained and millions of dollars spent training people on leadership is the military. It doesn't have to be U.S., the like Israeli military, whatever, the military. Um, does that mean... Every single person from the military is going to be a phenomenal entrepreneur. No, it doesn't. But having that leadership training matters a lot. Um, So much so that at Moonshots Capital, we lean in and look more closely at deals where there's a military veteran on the founding team. And authentically, Craig and I both being West Point graduates, and uh, I think 70% of our 13 million that's been deployed to date... um, has been in teams that have a military veteran associated with it. Uh, We're pretty ecstatic about the results so far of seeing how they operate, watching what they do. Um, It's a bit of an advantage, too, because um, most of the accelerators, incubators, amplify, mucker locally, and then also nationally. Techstars, 500 Startups, Y Combinator, they're aware, and it's a memorable differentiator, you get a crop of a new class in, you know, there's a Navy SEAL on a team. It's just like, oh, you should talk to Kelly and Craig at Moonshots. So we get pre-filtered deals and I wouldn't call it proprietary, but it's pretty, pretty exciting. Um, That uh, reputation also exists in the military and the .gov side of the world. So it's like, hey, Kelly and Craig are over in that weird tech venture ecosystem. You should talk to them. Now those deals aren't always in the place we focus, seed and, you know, late seed, early A, they're sometimes at C, you know, Charlie, um, or more, or they're not appropriate as franchises or something that's not appropriate for venture, but it's still a pretty interesting nexus, uh, one that Craig and I feel very strongly about and one that we're going to be investing in for years.
1: Yeah. I love hearing that differentiation. That's carving that out. It's been, that's impressive. So I want to ask you what your best investment was. I don't, I'm not asking for a return or however you want to answer that
0: what is my best investment? Um, so they're all different types of, of great investments. Obviously our LPs want me to say what the best return, what the best return is. And I think it, um, I negotiated an advisory role with LinkedIn in 2004. It's one of the things I leveraged from the apprentice exposure that I got that just had pretty remarkable turns against it. Um, but I'd say probably one of the most fulfilling for me personally was Bidium, okay. um, a company that I'd been recruited in from for, from two VCs to run. Um, I I brought in a head of product and a head of technology that I'd previously worked with, um, Scott Chris and Eric Gustafson. And when we were in the process of selling that company, we went to Spitfire Grill over by Santa Monica Airport. And we had a couple different sessions there where we were going to you know, straight out of uh, business school, we were going to extrapolate out a weighted valuation of what the next company we wanted to start was. So we were each responsible for bringing two ideas. And then we pulled out, you know, eight to 10 variables, I think, of how much VC money does it need? Uh, You know, how big is the market size, all of the different things where you would, you know, objectively say, okay, and then you add weight to which, which of those is most important to us for what we wanted to start. And then you run your math and you come out with, okay, this is the business we should build. That business that we did uh, ended up being Bidium. Um, I wrote the first check-in personally and then was a board member throughout. It was about six and a half years ago. Scott Kriz, the CEO, and Eric Gustafson, the f- co-founding CTO, um, built a phenomenal technology and... Uh, we went through a a lot of seed funding and uh, they went into Amplify. Uh, They then raised money from Polaris uh, out of Boston. And then uh, we sold the company to Google uh, in, I want to say, early October of this last year of 2017. And um, I wrote the first check-in as a personal angel. And then Moonshots did a small syndicate at the very end. So we kind of bookended it Took it from inception with the entrepreneurs all the way through to kind of life-changing event for those entrepreneurs. Yeah. And we had a, you know, a hardcore tech SaaS company built with a great exit that all of the investors participated in based in, you know, right on Main Street in Santa Monica there. How cool. Uh, So that one feels really good.
1: Yeah, I'll say. And you mentioned something about the apprentice there. What's it like having a relationship with the president?
0: Um, Well, we don't talk frequently. (laughs) Uh, I really had uh, a phenomenal 14 months living in New York City after winning the show uh, and working literally in Trump's office, uh, you know, for over a year. Um, I got to see and learn how he operated and was absolutely awestruck by how he managed the media even then so this is the all of 2005 and a little bit of 2006 but you know calculated attacks against Martha Stewart out of the blue I don't know if you remember but she's tried to do a, they did an apprentice with Martha Stewart mm-hmm. that you know failed miserably and that's from that's my description not my old boss's um, <laughs> and you know the 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 kind of fight that he and Rosie O'Donnell had, all of those were 100% calculated timing-wise and everything else to drive traffic for the Apprentice seasons. Right. And, you know, public sentiment and the media just ate it up and fed it. And I got asked a lot during his run-up, um, does it really happen? you really think it's going to happen? And I'm like, I, I think that anybody who underestimates his knowledge and understanding of how to work the media is just exactly where he wants them, <laughs> at a disadvantage. Sure. Um, so it was, uh, it was pretty interesting, pretty interesting 14 months.
1: And what did it do for you, I mean, you said it helped you get a, a board seat at LinkedIn, I mean, what did it propel you career-wise?
0: So, um, you know, pardon the saying, but uh, being from Kentucky, there are a lot of ways to skin a cat. I was an you know, early stage technology guy before I went on the show. And here I am many years later, right back into early stage technology. I think that it radically expanded my uh kind of reach. Um I mean I was I don't know if you remember, but LinkedIn ha- used to put notable people on the cover on the you know, the homepage yeah, of that was LinkedIn. Like their plan. Yeah, so I I I got to be the face of LinkedIn for a couple of weeks, which was pretty exciting. Um I published a book on The question, to answer the question I kept receiving, which was, hey, do you think your military background helped you at all, you know, on the show or whatever? And I'm like, "Um, clearly not everybody understands the kind of leadership training and discipline and everything else that's taught and or required in the military. So I wrote a book on applying military leadership principles to business and why they're important. I'm like, you know, who who really cares or is going to believe a reality show winner? So I went out and interviewed to corroborate my... Feeling about these different leadership principles that were taught in the military and applied in business with people like Roger Staubach, um, who you know was a Super Bowl-winning quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys a couple years, and also built up and sold his own $600 million real estate, million real estate company that not a lot of people know about. Uh, Ross Perot, who I think a lot of people know and understand. Bill Coleman, he's the B from BEA Systems. You know, At the time, it was the fastest company to a billion in sales. He's an Air Force guy um, all all of these individuals, uh, military backgrounds, and then moved into business and applied it. So it was, a incredibly fortunate for me to be able to get their attention because of having won the show to interview them in person for my, you know, to, to corroborate my book. So, um, just, just a phenomenal experience all around for me.
1: Yeah. So I'd like to wrap this up, but I'd like to hear some of these leadership principles that uh, the military instills in people.
0: Yeah, the um, the I think the ones that are probably most applicable for for being an entrepreneur um, are, are pretty straightforward, and it's 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 not going to be like oh my gosh I didn't even think of that, but it, it's it's pretty amazing uh, how important they are. But perseverance is one. Um, I tell all of our portfolio CEOs, you know. Every day, every phone call or email, you can like have a fifty-fifty side, smiley face, sad face, and you can just flip it or spin the spin the dial every right before every call or every email because it's going to be great or it's going to be horrible. Um, and life really is roller coaster like in those super, in those early days, and you have to kind of have low cortical stimulation arousal. Like don't get too, you know, nothing is ever as good or as bad as it seems at the time. Right. Um, and you just got to slog through it. So perseverance is incredibly important. Um, passions, the second one. <clears throat> your your leadership fundamentally boils down to the the ability to motivate others to action. And if you aren't passionate about what you're doing, it's going to be super hard to compel anybody to action, whether it's your employees even customers, investors, right? It, it's got to ooze out of you, right? And just be palpable. Um, so passion's incredibly important. Um, and then the last one, and probably is easiest for people who haven't been in the military to, to get the analogy, but um, planning is really important. It's a given that what you start out with is not gonna be where you end up. But if you're not, if, if you don't have a plan with milestones and intermediate action items to get to those milestones, there's no way f- for you to gauge whether or not you are tracking. And a free for all, oh, let's just go do this without a product roadmap, without an investment uh, roadmap, uh, a hiring plan. If you don't have full uh, knowledge and understanding of that as the founder and the owner of the business, that's a really bad signal to an investor on what you're going to be doing. It's a bad signal to your co, you know, your co-founders and the, and the other people that are there working with you on it. And, um, it's going to be really difficult for you to succeed. So perseverance, passion, and planning three P's off the top.
1: Love it. Well, Kelly, thanks so much for doing this. This this is a real pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this one. Let us know what you think and leave us a comment on iTunes. If you love the podcast, leave us five stars, please. And thank you. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks.